1939, a man named George Danzig enrolled in a graduate program of statistics at the University of California, Berkeley. At the beginning of one classroom session, the professor wrote on the chalkboard two famous unsolvable problems. George happened to be late for class that day, so he missed the disclaimer that both of these problems were unsolvable. He erroneously took it as a homework assignment and he, and he transcribed them into his notebook and he went to work. It took a little longer than anticipated, but George Danzig solved both of those unsolvable problems. A few weeks later, a very excited professor came knocking on the door of his apartment. George was apologizing to his professor because he was overdue on an assignment, but the professor came to inform him that in fact he had solved two of statistics' unsolvable problems. George Danzig had accomplished something that the experts in that field said could not be accomplished. Well, needless to say, George Danzig had a, had a brilliant mind and he finished his doctorate in 1946. After graduation, he worked for the Defense Department and in 1966, he took a position on the faculty of computer science at Stanford University. In 1975, Danzig won the National Medal of Science and some of the algorithm, algorithms that he coined still influence the way that airlines schedule their fleets, the way shipping companies deploy their trucks, the way financial institutions do their revenue projections, and the way that oil refineries produce and refine fuel. So his legacy is felt far and wide even to this day. But I would suggest to you this morning that the genesis of his genius can be traced back to that moment as a student of statistics at Cal Berkeley. Many years after the fact, Danzig was quoted as saying, if someone had told me that those were two famous unsolved problems, I probably wouldn't have even tried to solve them. But here's my point. Once you and I take labels off, and I'm talking about labels like impossible, or unsolvable, we will always believe in and we will always work towards a potential solution. It was Henry Ford who once said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you are right. And I believe that this mentality uh, even carries over into our spiritual life. If you think you can't, then you won't ask and you won't seek and you won't knock as the Bible instructs you to do. You won't pray and you won't believe God for a miracle in your life. That's why last week we talked about how that faith is literally unlearning every assumption except one. And it's the assumption that God is able and that God is not just able, but he is more than able and not just more than able, but able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Because the truth is, in our limited human understanding, we all underestimate God's goodness and God's greatness by a long shot. And so today, as we continue in our series called Miraculous, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter six. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen behind me because what you're going to find here is another famous unsolvable statistical problem. The problem is this. If you have 5,000 men 
plus women and children, how are you going to feed all of them with five loaves of bread and two little fish? The, the reason it appears to be an unsolvable problem is because we assume that five plus two equals seven, but it does not. Not in God's hand, not in God's kingdom, not biblically, not in John chapter six. Five plus two equals 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. Because whenever you add God to any equation, he can take whatever you offer him and multiply it. Whether it be your money, whether it be your time, whether it be your talents, whether it be your efforts, it does not matter. When it is all said and done, you will always have more than what you started with. And as, as we talk about this, this incredible miracle of multiplication, please don't make the mistake of thinking that this is an isolated miracle that happened only once, because it is not. You will clearly see the word multiply in the scriptures throughout. There's even a promise found in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse 13. And the first part of that verse says, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. You see, I believe we serve a God of multiplication because he multiplies all the time. So let's talk about it. Let's see what kind of a multiplication miracle God may wanna do in our lives today. And we're gonna start by reading John chapter six. And we'll start by reading verses one through five. Stay in there because we're going to keep going down through the chapter. I'll be reading this morning from the New International Version. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I'm not sure why Jesus was picking on Philip. Philip was from Beth Bethesda. Maybe he knew where the closest McDonald's was or something. I don't know for sure. But John 6, 6 clarifies it for us when it says this. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And I love this because Jesus already had a game plan, but this becomes now a test for Philip. And please understand that there are frequent moments within the scriptures and with our own personal lives where we are being tested, where God clearly makes it known that you are being tested. And, and I know the minute that you bring up the word test, people get all wonky about it because we have, we have negative perceptions of tests, don't we? But let me ask you something. How did you get your diploma? How did you get your degree? You had to take some tests, right? No test equals no degree. How'd you get your driver's license? Well, you had to take some tests, right? First, you had to take a written test, followed by a road test, for which we are all eternally grateful. No test equals no driver's license. Well, spiritually speaking, here is the truth that you can bank on. No test equals no testimony. See, I didn't get my testimony at Bible college. I earned a degree there, but that's not where you get your testimony. You get a testimony when you have successfully navigated a test. And I want you to understand something this morning. God is always testing us. 
like any brilliant teacher would do to his students. And what's funny here is that Jesus' disciples have already failed their math tests with the feeding of the 4,000 that you read about earlier in Matthew chapter 15. They didn't get it right. So in his mercy, Jesus is providing a makeup test for them. It's almost like he's saying, let's try this again, boys. Philip, how much is five plus two? And Philip says seven. And then Jesus pulls out the flashcards, says two fish, five loaves, 20,000 people. Now you're probably wondering why I say 20,000 people when the story is always called the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Well, the scriptures say that there were about 5,000 men these men were, it was not a men's rally. It was not a, 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 a men's, what do, you, what do you call the men's ministry, the big one? Well, the, the name of the ministry. Forget it. The moment's gone. <laughs> promise keepers. This was not a promise keepers moment. These men were there with their wives. They were there with their children. Actual number of people who were fed that day could have well exceeded 20,000. But here's something that we need to understand. God is not going to pass you to your next level of spiritual growth until you pass the test that he wants you to learn today. All of us know people who've claimed to be serving the Lord for, for 20, 30, even 40 years, but they do not have 20, 30, or 40 years of experience. What many of them have is one year of experience that has been repeated 20, 30, or 40 times because they're not learning the lessons that God is teaching them. So can we all just agree right now to have teachable spirits? Give me someone that has a teachable spirit and they're gonna learn. Why? Because they're hungry to learn. They are open to learning. They are humble enough to learn. And the result of that is that they will grow spiritually speaking. And here is something that I know for sure. God is testing you right now. Though I do not know exactly how he is testing you, he is testing you. Perhaps your test is, can you stay sexually pure while being single? Maybe your test is, will you allow God's word and God's presence to help you in overcoming negativity in your thought life and even in the words that you speak. Maybe your test is, will you faithfully pay your tithe even when you don't think you can? Maybe your test is, will you act upon a God-ordained encounter by sharing what God has done in your life with someone else? You see, God is testing you now. I don't know what your situation is, but God is testing each one of us right here and right now. Here's my point. This encounter, this miracle is a proving ground for Philip. A proving ground is what they call a military installation where weapons, technology, or tactics are tested. Well, in the scriptures, you will find all kinds of proving grounds. You've got Mount Moriah, which is the base camp for which God would test Abraham's faith. You've got the fiery furnace, and what a proving ground that was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got Egyptian dungeon, which was the proving ground for Joseph. You've got Nehemiah, and his first proving ground was what kind of job are you going to do as a simple cupbearer? 
And for many of you, your proving ground is the same. What kind of job are you gonna do in the workplace? Speaking of workplace, you can do a great job even in a bad environment. Even if it's a place that you are not planning on staying. And believe me when I tell you that God not only wants you to do a great job there, but that where you are at right now is your proving ground. Every test is an opportunity for you to prove yourself to God and for God to prove himself to you. So please understand that God wants to prove himself to you. I don't know exactly what God wants to prove to you or what you might need to prove to God, but I have a hunch. In fact, I've been, I've been praying that God would help all of you as you go through your own proving ground at your job or within a difficult relationship. Can you hang in there? Can you stay faithful? It's all a proving ground. And so I want you to know that your pastor does pray for you every day. And I wanna give you a promise this morning to hang on to. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two, Moses is recounting the journey through the wilderness. And here's what he tells the children of Israel. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Do you know how to know what God is doing in your life right now? Some of you are in a season where God is humbling you. It is no fun, but you need to praise God for it. And let me tell you something, I have been there. Times when I got the cart before the horse. Times when I completely got ahead of God. Times when I was working even outside of God's will. Times when my pride got so big that I had to be knocked down a peg or two. Believe me when I tell you that it is not only humbling, but it can even be humiliating. But as I look back on it today, I am so grateful. And I say, God, thank you for humbling me. Some of you are in a season where God is proving you. Can you be faithful with a few things? Can you be faithful with the little that God has given you? Well, if you can, guess what? God will bless it and he will bless you. Psalm 18, 25 through 26 says, to the faithful, show yourself faithful. To the blameless, show yourself blameless. To the pure, Show yourself pure. Here's what I'm getting at. God is going to prove himself to you. He's going to do it. So therefore, I am going to stand on the promises of God and I'm going to declare it boldly. I can't tell you if it will be a week or a month or a year, but in the proving ground that you are in right now, God will prove himself to you. So you just keep standing on his promises. Let's go back to John 6, verse 7. And remember, this is a test. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. What we have here is a classic example that, that proves there's going to be moments in life when things just don't add up. You ever been there? Almost daily. And you know what I've learned? When it comes to the will of God, most often it doesn't add up. When you look at it through your physical eyes, it doesn't make any sense to you. There's no way this can happen. But spiritually speaking, it can. 
Philip does this quick calculation. He figures out it would take a half year's wages for everybody to just get one bite. And honestly, that's a very human reaction. That's looking at things through our physical eyes. So let me stop here for just a moment and tell you a story a little bit about this place that you attend called High Point Assembly. I want you to understand us. I I want you to understand our convictions and the way that we operate here. When I arrived here nine and a half years ago, our financial picture wasn't very healthy. And after I said yes and moved my family here and saw how bad it was, it was downright scary. In fact, the board told me before I arrived that there were times that they weren't certain that they were gonna be able to meet all the obligations, but they continued on trusting and seeking God and his provision and God saw it through and they didn't miss a payment on anything. So first I want you to understand that your church board has great faith in God for what he can accomplish here at High Point Assembly. And so since we got here, we decided to increase our giving because I have learned that when you have a need, you give out of your need and God will bless it and he will provide for your need through your faithfulness to something else. And so we've added a whole lot of new missionaries. In fact, we support over 40 different missionary works, both internationally and nationally. We have given money and resources to other churches who were in need. We've given wildfire victims, given to wildfire victims through other churches who were in the areas where they were affected. We've given large amounts of money to Convoy of Hope, who have helped victims of hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, and of course, most recently, war. We give every month to a fund called the One Fund that helps to resource churches in the Northern California, Nevada District of the Assemblies of God who are struggling financially. And we have not just given lots of money, but we've given a lot of manpower to the Mount Lassen campgrounds. Our food pantry serves hundreds of people each month. We've also helped people who were in need in a variety of ways. We've even given money to our city's 4th of July fireworks fund so that we can have fireworks, among many other things. I mean, I could go on and on about what we give to. And we've done so knowing that it it wasn't just the right thing to do, but that God blesses us whenever we give. Whenever we as a board step out in faith and do something, it is just literally amazing almost immediately how God returns the favor and he blesses us in some way which we never dreamed. And he has blessed us immensely. And our financial picture is so much different today than it was nine and a half years ago. As we have been faithful in our giving, sometimes even beyond what what seems to add up, God has in turn blessed us financially and he has multiplied our resources. In fact, you would think that everything would have gone in the dumper with when the COVID pandemic hit, but I'm here to tell you that our giving actually increased during that pandemic and has continued to increase. And I have only one explanation as to why, and it's found in, in Luke chapter six, verse 38 where it says, given it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured unto you. This is a promise from God, ladies and gentlemen, about multiplication. You see, church, you cannot cheat God. You cannot break the laws 
of sowing and reaping. But here's the greatest truth that I want to provide with you this morning. You likewise cannot outgive God. Having said that, I want to go on the record to say this. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel that is so prevalent in the American church today. To be honest with you, it sickens me when I see the manipulative ways that, that past preachers on television manipulate people to give and, and you give because God's gonna make you rich or he's gonna give you a hundredfold on that $100 that you gave and these poor widows are giving their last dime to these millionaires and it sickens me. And I'm sorry if that offends you, I apologize, but that's just the way I feel about the, the modern day prosperity gospel that we hear all over our nation. Anytime you add something to the gospel, you're subtracting from it because the gospel is as good as it gets. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to add schemes to it. This is not some kind of a get rich scheme I'm talking about. If God blesses you or me, it's not just so that we can increase our standard of living. It's to raise our standard of giving. The reason that God blesses you is so you can become a bigger blessing to someone else. At the end of the day, I make no apologies if any of us are, are making money, if God is blessing us and if God is multiplying it. But when we die, we had better do so knowing that we have given something back to the kingdom of God. We had better do so knowing that we were wise with the resources that God entrusted us with. So you really need to hear my heart this morning. You can't play God. God is not some, some slot machine. But in all of my personal experiences, as well as my experience in church leadership, they prove that you cannot outgive God. For Lisa and me, over the last 25 years, God has proven himself faithful to us time and time again. That doesn't mean we haven't had lean times. We have, we all have. I remember times when we didn't have any money to do anything, but that still did not keep us from giving because we made a decision early on in our marriage that we would never not give the tithe. We decided that we would always give God what the Bible refers to as our first fruits. And by the way, when you do that, I promise you that God will deliver on his promise. He will multiply what you have left. He always does. And so as your church has been giving to missionary works and helping people in need and giving to struggling churches and many other worthy causes, God has been blessing us for our faithfulness and he will bless you too. But you also need to know that we have some pretty big dreams here as well. We want to be reaching at least 10% of this city's population. My math serves me correctly. That means we want 1,400 people minimum to be attending this church. That means we need to add about another 900 souls, one for Christ. But even when that goal is achieved, we wanna to continue to grow from there. And certainly the main reason we wanna grow is because each one of those additional people represents another soul, one for the kingdom of God. It also represents another soldier in the army performing the Great Commission and leading others in our city into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But another reason we wanna grow 
is because the more we grow, the more we can give. And the greater blessing High Point Assembly can be to God's kingdom and more specifically in this community of Red Bluff. You see, I have a core conviction that, that God will bless us in proportion to how we give to missions and how we care for many other needs. I also believe that people who are in need are near and dear to the heart of God. You can't just ignore what is near and dear to the heart of God. Now that doesn't mean we can meet every need that is brought to us, because quite honestly, some are illegitimate needs. I pray for discernment whenever anybody comes into my office about needing something. I pray for God to give me wisdom and discernment, and many times they are not legitimate needs. And sometimes there are some, there, there are just far too many. We couldn't possibly tackle them all. So that's why we've been giving money to a multi-church fund through our involvement with FaithWorks. With FaithWorks, several churches in the community pool our resources so we can help on a grander scale. And what's exciting about FaithWorks is for the second year in a row now, we've been able to obtain a $70,000 grant, if you can believe that, to, to help. And so we're, we're specializing in trying to help people with housing issues. Uh, if they need help to get into housing, permanent housing, that's what we're trying to do. And we do that through FaithWorks. Another desire that we have here at this church is, is to help resource struggling churches within our own section. I am the sectional presbyter for this area. We wanna help the underfunded churches so that they too can reach more people for Jesus Christ. So we're gonna keep giving as a church to the front lines and trust all at the same time that God is gonna take care of our bottom line because he always has. And if we continue to operate in this way, I totally trust the Lord because of the law of measures. Here's what I'm getting at, and maybe I can personalize it just a little bit. Please don't wait until you have 5,000 fish to start giving, to start investing, to start serving, to start putting what is in your hand into God's hands. And folks, this is not just about giving money that I'm talking about here. It's about giving of yourselves to God's kingdom with your time and with your talents. You start with two fish and you put it into God's hand, and you see what God can do, and you can see how he can multiply it. If you wait until it all adds up, you will never become a giver. You will never become a server. You will never go back to school. You will never sponsor a child. You'll never save any money. And I could give you a dozen other things that you will never do if you wait until everything adds up on paper. But if you take what you have, and you place it into God's hands, he might just multiply it into a miracle for others. And if you want God to do something beyond your abilities, I have found that a great place to see this happen is in the giving of the tithe. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe, that's the first fruits I was talking about, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. That scripture is a prime example of how God can do more with your 90% than you could ever do with the 100%. Because he multiplies what you give and he also multiplies what you have left. Let's get back to our story, verse eight. 
Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? That's where we get stuck. We let what we cannot do to keep us from doing what we can do. And psychologists call this the drop in the bucket effect. When we are overwhelmed by the scale of a problem or, or by statistics, sometimes instead of it motivating us, it paralyzes us. And we all know that when you're paralyzed, you, you can do nothing. Well, let me tell you a story about a man named Bob Pierce, who in 1950 was <clears throat> in Korea. He was working with children who had been orphaned because of the war. One day, he was in one of the food lines that was feeding these starving children when he literally watched a child drop dead while he was in the food line. And Bob Pierce's heart broke. You know, there are times when your heart breaks for the things that, that breaks the heart of God. And it happened to be a defining moment for him in his life. It became his life's mission that he was going to get food to the front lines if it was the last thing that he could do. So he started an organization, maybe you've heard of it, called World Vision. On one of his trips, he met a little girl named White Jade who had been beaten and disowned by her family because of her faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, all he had in his pocket was five bucks, but he reached in his pocket and he handed her a $5 bill. Now that doesn't seem like much to us, but that that little girl, it was a fortune. But that's not all he did. He promised her that he would start sending her money every month. And that one act of compassion became the catalyst for World Vision's child sponsorship program, a program that has impacted tens of millions of lives. And that's not only in foreign countries, but they are now reaching people within the, reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ within 33 of the 50 most fragile states in the United States. And get this, from $5, World Vision's budget today is $2.7 billion. You talk about multiplication. How did it start? It started with $5, only five loaves and two fish. That's how it always starts. And then God multiplies it. And let me tell you, it is above your pay grade to worry about what God does once it's in his hands. However, it is our job to put what little we have in our hands securely into God's hands and then to see what he is going to do with it. What I'm trying to say is this. If this little boy holds on to his two fish, he's still got a lunch. But he forfeits his opportunity to be a part of a miracle. And not just one miracle, but a miracle for everyone who was there that day who ate lunch. So 20,000 miracles happened on that day because a little boy put what little he had into the hands of Jesus. You are someone else's miracle. I've been telling you that for a couple weeks now. So when you get those two fish, you never know what God is gonna do with it. And as we talk about giving, allow me this opportunity to just simply say thank you. Because I am overwhelmed by the faithfulness and the generosity of so many 
in this body of believers. My goodness, just two weeks ago, you gave $1,800 to help send our kids to camp by purchasing baked goods for way over their asking price. How much are those cookies? Uh, $4, well, here's 100. I mean, this is what you guys do all the time. And it's just unbelievable. That's just one of many examples. You always give to fill needs, so thank you. Thank you for your giving heart. You're, thank you for giving your life to the Lord and, and thank you for supporting your church. You are a blessing. But it all goes without saying, at the same time, God is blessing you for being a blessing because that's how God's economy works, amen? Back to verse 10. Jesus said, have the people set down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I read it so quickly, I wonder if you caught it. He gave thanks. He's not praying, God, I've got 5,000 people on my hand, and, and I've got only five loaves and two fish, and there's a potential riot going on here. He's not praying because he's done the math and figuring out how short he is with supplies. Jesus was praying to give thanks to God the Father for what he did have and for, God, for what God was going to do at that moment with what he had. And I think the multiplier in this story is gratitude. Joy isn't getting what you want. Joy is appreciating what you do have. I'm also gonna tell you that when you give of your resources, when you give of your time and your money and your talents to God's kingdom, you will enjoy what you have even more. Because when you do this, something shifts in your heart and there's a greater joy that naturally comes out of all of it. But God won't multiply what you have until you give thanks first. So let's cultivate a heart of gratitude in our personal lives for everything that we have. I told you last week about the house we had to sell in Phoenix before we moved here to be your pastor and how that the housing market created inequity. We were upside down. We wondered what we were gonna do and that's when God brought a buyer who was willing to pay $25,000 above the appraised value for our home because they liked it so much. That never happens, folks. Who pays $25,000 more for a home than it's worth? But it did, it was a miracle. And we thank God continually for that miracle in our life. Now I could have said, God, we lost everything we put into the house, we lost our down payment, all the upgrades that I did, it's all lost. And I could have lamented over it forever, but we didn't. We were grateful in our hearts to get out from underneath that burden of potentially owning a home in another state. And we were so thankful for that. But the rest of the story, I didn't share with you. And it is so like God, because the miracle did not end there. We had a lady in this church who was moving away to be near her family. She called me, she said, Pastor, I, I want you to come and take a look at my house and, and maybe buy it. <laughs> and I told her, I said, I am in no position to buy a home at this moment. She said, well, just come out and take a look at it anyway. So we did and we loved the neighborhood. And we didn't love the house, but we liked the house, but I saw potential in the house. 
Let's just say she made it impossible for us not to buy the home. She provided the financing. She gave it to us at a below market price. Long story short, a year later, I went to finance it myself. I wanted to get her out from underneath the, the, uh, the burden of carrying the paper and had the house appraised and get this, and this is before what's gone on here recently happened. The increased value of that home was the same amount that we had lost in Phoenix. Talk about a correction in just one year. That's exactly why I say God won't multiply what you have until you give thanks. We cultivated a, a, a spirit of gratitude over that miracle, but God wasn't done. He had an even greater miracle in store for us. It's something, thanks is something that we all need to get better at expressing regularly because God blesses those who have thankful hearts. Let's go back to verse 12. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they grabbed them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Here's the point that I want to make this morning. Your generosity is someone else's miracle. How do I know that? Well, I have the privilege of receiving reports and emails from our missionaries out in the field that we support and how we have blessed their works and how through what we have given, it's made all the difference in the world for their ability to do what it is that they do and to do it well. And I'm pretty certain that we have all prayed to God individually when we have a need. Well, I want you to look at it this way. You and I can be answers to someone else's prayer because your generosity truly is someone else's miracle. And it all starts with trust. Trusting God with what you have. Trusting God with what you give. And daily praying and acknowledging, Lord, this is all from you and it is all for you. I am just a steward of what you have given me on the time that I walk the face of this earth. So thank you for the opportunity to be faithful, to be generous, to be trustworthy with what you have given me. So what's the next step? I think that the simplest application in the world is to put what little you have into God's hands. He can take that little and he can turn it into a whole lot. And he does it by multiplying it because he is the God of multiplication. That is what I walk away with when I read about this particular story, this particular miracle in the Bible. Jesus took something small, a boy's lunch, and he fed thousands upon thousands of people with it. But it took the boy's willingness to share what he had in order for this miracle to take place. And again, this reinforces my point that sometimes we have to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. The breakdown occurs, folks, when we are unwilling to do our part, when we are unwilling to do the natural, the stuff that we are capable of doing. I stand amazed at the things that God 
has done in my life as a result of me giving of both my financial resources and of my time to God's kingdom work. Things that I know would have never happened had I not been trusting God with what I had. Your financial miracle will always be released through your, your willingness to give God what you have. And yet so many people totally miss this. But it is the same act of multiplication that we see in this story of the feeding of 5,000. So I want to suggest to all of you today, if you have never gotten into the discipline of tithing, or if you've never trusted God with your time and with your talents and with your abilities, let me just say, you can't afford not to. So make it a matter of prayer and trust God through it. He will never let you down. There are hundreds of people in this place who can testify to what I'm saying is true. People who have experienced God's supernatural blessings through their financial stewardship and by trusting him with their talents and, and with their time, he has multiplied it for them. You know, one of the things I pray with the worship team before we meet on, come out here on Sunday, I say, God, thank you for these men and women who are using their gifts for you. And I pray that you would multiply the time that they invest into this place back to them. What I mean is, yeah, they come in here while you're still in bed practicing on Sunday mornings on this stage, and it's a sacrifice for them. And sometimes they could be using that time for other things, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is multiplying their time during the week and giving them the ability and the time to do the things that need to be done. Scott, will you, not Scott, Anthony, <laughs> would you come forward? When you give God your two fish and your five loaves, you'd better get ready because I'm telling you that miracles will begin to happen in your life. You know, I realized that Today's message wasn't about salvation. It's a message about trust. And it's a message about multiplication. It's a perfect example of when Jesus made something out of almost nothing. And he does it every single day. It doesn't take much for God to do something great. In fact, it takes nothing for him. Because when we decide to turn our lives over to Jesus, he can do things in and through us that we never thought possible. And you might be here today and you know of Jesus, you know who he is, you've heard him talked about. You just never committed your life into his able hands. Well, I never like to end a service without giving people the opportunity to receive salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you wanna be saved in a moment, we're gonna pray and you can pray a simple prayer of confession and belief to the Lord. When you do that, God will save you. You can have a fresh start. The Bible says that your sins will be forgiven and you become a new creation. And he will start to multiply areas in your life. And for those of you who have already received salvation, just like you trusted God for your salvation, you need to begin to trust him in literally every facet of your life. 
When you truly trust God in everything, you start to see him multiply whenever you give of your time or your money or your skills. And you will find great joy in giving and in serving and in utilizing your gifts for God's kingdom. Listen, God blesses those who give. He multiplies what you give. And then you begin to be difference makers in the world because you've, got, you've, allowed, you've allowed God to multiply your effectiveness. And every bit of it starts with knowing that God is able and having trust in his abilities. Because once we get there, there is absolutely no limits. There are no unsolvable problems with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a simple truth that you'll never understand until you've experienced it. And I want every one of you to experience it in your own personal life. I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet this morning. I'd also like to ask our prayer team, and I said pastors, I guess it's just you, Chris, because Anthony's up here to come stand around the front. Can you do that? Our prayer team. I'm going to close this service in prayer. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, I'd like to come forward. Members of our prayer team would be delighted to pray with you. It could have to do with what God has challenged you with this morning. It might have to do with a health need, a relational need, financial need. I don't know, but they're here to pray for you. They're here to stand in agreement with you. Pray about whatever it is that you are seeking God with this morning. And as I said earlier, if you don't know Jesus, you can come up and pray with one of them about that, or you can pray during my closing prayer. But let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. If you want to leave after that, you can. If you want to be prayed for, please come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a God of multiplication, that you can take what little we have and you can do something incredible with it. Oh God, that we would believe that down to the core of our being, that we would trust you in ways to allow that to be manifested in our lives. And I know there are many here who have, and they could very well stand up here and preach the same message that I did this morning. But for those who haven't, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would challenge them to step out of their comfort zone and to step out in faith and allow you to take what they have and multiply it. Not just financially, Lord, though you do that, but in the way that we serve and the way that we give of ourselves, the talents that you have given us, as we utilize them for the kingdom of God, we see great results. So I pray that you would speak to all of us this week. Holy Spirit, that you would show us ways in which you wanna use us and that everyone here would have the courage to step out in faith and say, yeah, I've thought about it long enough, I've talked about it long enough, and now is the time where I'm gonna start doing it. Give us the trust and faith in you, Lord, to believe you for all things, because you are the God of multiplication, and you are the God of miracles. Pray for the miracles that are needed in the lives of my church family today, and I also pray that we would be a miracle in someone else's life. Use us, Lord. As we go our separate ways today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go with us, guide in directing our steps, the places we go, the things that we do, the conversations that we have, 
that those conversations would be designed to build up and not tear people down. That we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world and that shining is the love of Christ that's beaming through us and it would be so prevalent that people would come up and say, what is it about you that is different? And then you open that door, Lord, and we walk through it and share your goodness with them. Give us those opportunities. I pray for divine appointments for all of us this week, Lord, where someone will come across our path and you open the door and we can share the goodness of Jesus Christ with them and invite them to church with us. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you'll keep us safe until next week, until we join together and worship you in spirit and in truth. Keep us safe from accidents and illnesses. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, as we leave today, let us go in love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here.